The Protect Your Neck Podcast. UFC Sao Paulo Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. Boys and girls, this is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst you can find over at MMAJunkie.com. On this year's program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight. The fight in question, of course, is UFC Sao Paulo, UFC Fight Night 164, UFC on ESPN Plus 22, UFC... Blockowitz versus Souza. Uh, as per usual, check the timestamps, um, not just for the usual reasons, because I will timestamp when the breakdown starts. Perhaps I might word it when this uh, recap of the card beforehand, which will be UFC Moscow, ends. Not only will that be marked uh, to help, help place, uh, place hold for you, uh, normally every episode will end with me recapping my picks and plays. Um, but uh, I wanted to... Uh, you know, uh, do a little fun uh, movie talk. Finally got to the movies, see the the Joker, and uh, saw some other things and just had some thoughts. And rather than touch on it briefly and then have that extend and yada, 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 I'm just going to throw that at the very end. So it all, it'll be all business uh, and all business in the front. And, uh, you know, uh, so, so I'll timestamp it kind of uh, uniquely this episode, I guess I should say. For, so I'll timestamp when the picks and plays... Um, actually happened uh, toward the end of the episode, um, in case you don't want to listen to my myself drone on, which I don't blame you, uh, you know, uh, especially oh, especially after last week, oh boy, hat in hand I come to you, I'll be getting to that as I, appropriately, which is another reason why I wanted to push right into things, because, oh boy, do I have some crow to eat, and, and, and does Dan Tom feel like an asshole, uh, and I will be eating all that fully, um, and, and all the, uh, you know, uh, and, uh, apologies and uh, correctifying and rectifying opinions and all that stuff with the UFC Moscow breakdown, which we'll be pushing into. Um, I, I will probably maybe touch on just a couple news and notes at the end, and maybe there'll probably be like a, a traditional break edit into this before we start the uh, the actual breakdown. So again, check the notes if you want to jump ahead, and we're going to kind of push right into business right as I sip more coffee. So, UFC Moscow happened. UFC and ESPN Plus 21, headlined by Nagamid Sharapov. Calvin Kata, um, over there in, uh, in Russia, went 8-5 and five in picks overall. 2-2 uh, two and two in straight plays. That's right, I did end up including Roberson. I did end up playing him. I guess we'll cover that one briefly when we get to it. 1-1 one and one in props that I took a shot on. And... NA and parlay pieces, but I will have some a fun parlay thing, you know, which is, again, you're crazy for betting, much less parlaying uh, combat sports, but for what it's worth, I will have something coming up for the Sao Paulo section. So for whatever that's worth, you degenerate, you degenerate bastards. Uh, 
we'll be getting to that. So that's kind of the general recap. Of course, top Magomed Sharapov defeated Calvin Kata by unanimous decision. Uh, pretty much one as I as I said. Um, you know, again, if it was a five round fight, I would have. Uh, been New England cartel all day. I like Calvin Cater from him being in the studio. Tyson Chardier is his uh, manager, cornerman, confidant, if you will. Uh, you know, uh, trains up with Rob Font, who's a, who's a likable character. Like all those guys, man, but just it was just a matchup, you know, unless he was able to get it done in that. Uh, catch him cold early or get it done in the third round, it really wasn't going to. It was going to be an uphill battle, especially in Russia. And now everybody's kind of picked up on what a lot of us who've been kind of paying attention. I uh, have kind of seen with Magomed Sharapov, you know, uh, him kind of fading in those third rounds. So, yeah, I don't like him. I don't like him against uh, Max or Volkanovski, the winner of that. Um, I really don't like him against a lot of guys, to be honest. Uh, in fact, I thought he was going to, you know, I thought it was a cruel matchup. Even even me not being, you know, uh, the biggest Yair fan. Uh, I shouldn't say that because, like, I, I, I'm sure he's a nice guy and you know, I'm not going to go down that Dan, don't go down that path. But you know what I mean. I've I, I've picked against him and suspected against his 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 skills and levels. Uh, I, I've been one who've been vocal about it and, and picked against it to say the least, right? And nothing against the guy. Just this kind of how I've been. Uh, to where when they brought up that Magomed Sharapov fight back when they're having those contract negotiations, I'm like, man, that is cruel to do that. But now, if five round fight or not, I mean, even in a three round fight, I may I may actually favor a year. You heard it here. I'm actually favoring a year in that fight. But anyways, uh, Magomed Sharapov squeaks by here. So wh whether he gets a title shot next, I don't. I think there's other people, or you know, there's other other fights you can make for a number one contender. But uh, I want to see him in a five round fight next. That's for sure. Uh, Volkov defeated Greg Hardy uh, by unanimous decision, which was a surprise. That kind of xed out that uh, prop uh, prop piece. I, mean, I probably shouldn't have been so confident in it. You know, it wasn't uh, out of hate. Again, I feel like I've been I've been I've been fair. If anything. To Greg Hardy, and if anything, I'll, I'll be fair again. And you know, uh, the fact that he hurt his hand in the first round um, and kept his composure, was able to use his improved footwork and kind of show his left hand and work off. Of, if, if, if I'm glad it happened because it forced us to see more of his game, whether you hate him and want him to get knocked out, or whether you're curious to see where he can go. Um, objectively, you know, I'll say that, and it, 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 there's not too much more to say but it sucks because i feel like i can already be condemned for even giving him that much credit but i just want to say again i, I don't like the guy personally from you know uh, if i'm at, if i'm forced to judge a book by a cover but at the same time as we'll get to here in a second um you don't know these guys and even when you think you do and you hear bad stuff there's fuck man what, what was it what was it i didn't write it down but um it'll definitely come up in the the bigger one here, but this is just another one where just, you know, a lesson learned for me and kind of in the sport, two S's, sucks and sympathy. Everybody sucks, you know, kind of like, you know, now it's like everybody's getting me too or fucking DV or this or that, domestic violence accusations coming out of the way. It's the point where it's like, and I know I'm not the only person who does this, and even jokingly, albeit still, where you're like, oh, I like this guy, now watch, it's going to come up and he's going to be a domestic abuser, right? Um, and then we kind of have that fear in the back of your head or like, oh, great. Or, you know, Twitter will definitely remind you if you try to, you know, praise someone of a positive, they'll be there to remind you, but he did this. You're like, oh, okay. So again, I'm not, I'm not exactly a fan of the guy, obviously, but at the same time, I, I can only harp on the same incidents, 
convictions, yes, but I can only harp on the same incident so much. At a certain point, I have to do my job. Um, and uh, as it did, you know, which we'll get to with uh, Tony Martin there, Anthony Rocco Martin, it can, it can blind you sometimes, you know. And that's happened before, even with a fighter. Uh, Nick Lentz is a fighter that, you know, again, I've, I've admitted that one too. Again, I've admitted, I've admitted these things before, but it doesn't mean uh, I don't still don't step out of line. Uh, whether it's being non-professional or just affecting my my bias as, as being, a, as a, you know, as far as my job, which is to analyze fights. So if I'm analyzing fights, if I'm analyzing Greg Hardy, yeah, man, um, he overperformed. Now, did he have the highest bar for me? I, I feel like I had a healthier bar. Uh, I feel like it was healthier than his supporters and healthier than his skeptics. I feel like I felt kind of I I traditionally felt kind of somewhere in the middle with Greg Hardy. Um, but it's hard. It's hard not to let those biases kind of sway you. So. In my effort to not let it sway me, the dude overperformed, if I, that's fair to say. Or as Volkov underperformed, but, you know, I get it. You know, he needs, needed the win. He's needed the W. And uh, he uh, was content to, cut, to coast, and, and coast he did. Danny Roberts, I was glad I'd be wrong on this one. Man, it was just like the, uh, what you might call another, you know, just putting a young kid in his place like he did with... Uh, Another another time I picked regrettingly picked against Danny Roberts. I like Danny Roberts again just because you pick against people, folks. It doesn't mean you don't like them. But uh, uh, no, Oscar Piachota. But who was it? Um, gosh, he fought Nordin Taleb, that that Swedish kid. But yeah, anyways, uh, same thing. Sorry if you're one of those people who like me. I usually know the reference and are screaming at the at the phone or microphone. Um, but but yeah. Zalim Emadayev was uh, was definitely put you know put in his place, and you can't uh, Oliver Uncamp, That's who it was, and you can't fault um, or you can't you can't really be mad at that when you hear that you know again you know I got to qualify everything now, especially uh, especially recently you know just how things are in general to, to even you know myself here on this year program, but uh, but you know, yeah, you hear stories of Emadaya of uh, not exactly being conducting himself like a gentleman, whereas Roberts, just a very likable guy, man. So um, you can't help feel good for that. You also can't help feel good for Ed Herman. Came through the dog money helped uh, help helped help me in the betting in that night for sure. Old short fuse Ed uh, defeated Kadis Ibragimov again. You, you can't. Just like you can't condemn these guys for their their, their lows, um, you know, because again, you know, uh, they may seem like they suck, but like back to the two S's, you know, like they may have traits that you you might deem as sucky as a as a person, right? But then they also have things that are sympathetic too, and you're like, oh, okay, I find that, you know, very sympathetic. And uh, also with you can't judge people, you know, off of losses or condemn them how they act, you know. But at the same time, when someone's like again like a Glover to share like. Uh, there's also a fighter we're going to be breaking down here on the Sao Paulo card. It's a really nice moment, I think. Uh, so Randy Brown. Um, but, you know, these guys, they, 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 they just show show such class in winning. I can't help but but feel extra good about those people because I would argue that it tells more about someone how they win than how they lose. Now, if, if you're a poor loser, there's a lot of excuses for that. Um whether or not you want to subscribe to those excuses or do I subscribe to those excuses or, or am I okay with them is another story. I'm just saying it's it's more palpable, digestible, understandable, whereas if someone's just, you know, off a win and they're still acting like an ass, like it's like, a, right, it's it's really hard to, you know, kind of Ronda Rousey, right, when people started to kind of turn on her, right, because you like, man, just before she lost, she was winning, but it's kind of how you win, right? Um, 
but yeah, uh, and I was I was just joking. I'm like, you know, I, I try to get too. I feel like for all the piss that I take out of myself, and I'm definitely doing it this episode, obviously, folks. But in general, I feel like I do a pretty good job of that. But like, I, I feel like the one thing, uh, even for all the things I can, you know, piss on myself on for just you know doing poorly, bad, or or whatever, uh, I feel like I'm pretty good about not being braggadocious. Like, there's, I'm not. I don't. There's not much victory last being had over here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. It's not much of a... I, I may bring things up if it's relevant for an example for something I'm talking about, but really um, not a lot of victory laps here. And it's also really hard to do any kind of victory laps for these fights because even though I feel like I broke it down very well in this this year program, again, certain fights like this have that that old, you know, the Robert Follis bias or whatever the bi- bi- bias may be, you know. Um, same with Brian Carraway um, back when he bought... Uh, fought uh, Aljo Sterling. I, I, I called that one um, fairly well how it would go, but at the same time, I couldn't brag about hitting the plus 300 or whatever Caraway was because, again, Caraway, oh, Caraway's your boy. Like, okay, sorry, all right, all right, you know. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I'm not, believe me, I'm, even if I do get the analysis right, I'm, I'm not, I, ain't, I ain't trying to, I ain't trying to fucking do victory laps here. But, yeah, it was nice to see Ed Herman get it done. Over uh, Kedis Bragamoff, who I think we'll see in Bellator. <laughs> it's one of those weird uh, losers these Bellator fights. All right, all right, I'm going to prelude in this next one. Uh, Anthony Rocco Martin defeated uh, Ramzan Amif. Um, played him. Jesus, Ben. All right, relax. All right, I know. I know. Uh, played Amif. Uh, seemed like a, you know, bias aside, it really just seemed like a stylistic thing. I really wasn't trying to, uh, you know, uh, bet bias. I picked. Uh, I picked um, and maybe even played in a parlay uh, uh, Tony Martin, Anthony Rocco Martin there uh, when he's like, you know, since, uh, since you know, him calling me out. There's other fighters too. Like I, I still, um, I think one we'll talk about on this next card or maybe, yeah, yeah, Bobby Green even. Like Bobby Green came at us really hard and like on the radio show was like hurling insults at me and my co-host and saying some not so nice things. But I like Bobby Green before. His style, and I still like his style now. You know what I'm saying? So again, I feel like I've, I, I, to be fair to myself, uh, you know, I haven't let it get in the way of that. You know, as far as my analysis goes, but man, uh, I, again, I don't know if it's because uh, old Dan Tom's going through some shit, and uh, I probably, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I, believe me, it's not just. Uh, I'm sure you, you know, people who know me or been listening to the show or good at reading between the lines probably know. Like, I, yeah, things have been, been been a bit rough. So, again, when these fighters end up going through stuff, I, it's really easy to be sympathetic, even with guys who I wasn't sympathetic to. And, I'm, you know, obviously with uh, with Anthony Rocco Martin, obviously did I feel like a shitbag, not just because I was wrong on the pick, I was wrong on the play. Those were, were very little important. Um, you know, it was one of the few times I, 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 I let go. Well, not one of the few. I'm always unprofessional. Uh, a lot of me is unprofessional because I didn't really – go through, nor did I ever claim to be a professional in the first place. I'm not a journalist, nor do I claim to be, nor do I want to be known as one. I'm not. Um, I'm in a, a fickle thing called a fight analyst, and I fell into it by accident, folks, um, by getting beat up a lot and falling, falling into it by accident pretty much is the best is the best thing I can come up with. And, um, God, I'm ranting over here, but, but yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, so, I, 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 yeah, I'm not... I'm not trying to claim to be professional, and it's kind of the fun on this podcast. We can have fun, we can joke around, but I feel like I, for you know, 
imitations, bad imitations aside, uh, I feel like I'm fair as far as what I'm offensive about. And I always try to keep it in a spirit to where I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I'm punching up, up, up and not punching down as far as comic comedy goes and that my intent at least is in the right place or that it's very clear that I'm joking and that at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, I care and I'm more sympathetic with these people uh, by following them, uh, experiencing what they've experienced. Fortunately, not the highs, mainly just the lows of losing and getting injured and uh, head trauma and things like that. So I'm very sympathetic. So it just it it, it uh, and I called myself out to be fair in the last podcast. Um, and even you know you know by and I'm not one to circulate personal information or try to let it bleed in, but I did and and, I, and even though I didn't you know you know you. Yeah, try not to use direct words. It was pretty clear what I was saying. And I did call myself out for not being professional and coming off like an asshole. And boy, little did I know I was, how much of an asshole I was going to come off like because um, sure enough, uh, not only does Martin win, he gets on there and he's being emotional. I thought he was maybe directing it, you know, maybe toward, you know, um, you know ex-ladies, ex-girls of his past, right, or something. But it was to his mom. And his poor mother has stage four breast cancer, and you know, and y'all saw the post press conference. ESPN MMA did a good job of circulating some uh, things about talking about him and his mom's bucket list. So, uh, man, did my I for what it's worth, if you're wondering, yeah, Dan Tom felt like a fucking big asshole, <clears throat> a big asshole there. Um, boy, did I feel it in my chest. And uh, I do. <laughs> by the way. Uh, I'm recording this the day of, uh, of a follow-up after some tests, and apparently uh, I got what Justin Wren was talking about, uh, the post-Cipro stuff from my, my bout with the antibiotics, weakened my ligaments, and, and apparently I've been rocking a torn left uh, rotator cuff. That's been causing the pain in my chest, back, um, ribs, and, and arm, and just not realizing it because of stupid pain tolerance. And now that I realize what it is, it's pointing it in the right direction, but my, my pain wasn't sure where to point it, you know? <laughs> And all the anxiety and emotions and stuff that, that I'm going on as well, you know, with my own mother and things. Uh, kind of rounding back to this this Martin thing here. Boy, did, did it start, like, formulating. I thought I was like, okay, I'm, I, the EKG said I wasn't having a heart attack. But I may have it now because I'm just an asshole and I, I feel for the guy. So uh, you're hearing on this podcast, I'm a Tony Martin fan. He's made legitimate improvements that even when I picked him, I still don't think I've given him enough credit for, technically. Um, and personally... Lord knows I have my quirks. Lord knows I've made my mistakes. Uh, let he, you know, throw the first stone or whatever that thing is. That's a good saying. Whether it's from religion or not, it's a really, really good and applicable saying. And I think we all need to remind ourselves of that, especially in the social media culture, but particularly me, since I'm, it's my podcast here. I'm the one speaking. And, uh, yeah, not only making sure I can give Tony Martin his respect uh, as a fighter, but I'm also rooting for him personally. I'm a fan. Uh, he can still think I'm an asshole, and I am, and I deserve it, but I, I, I will be sending positive energy him and his mother's way, man, rooting for them. But, yeah, and just tying up this note, we'll be pushing on, folks, but just tying into it, yeah, I, I apologize for that and kind of how if, how I've been because, again, I it, it sucks. I, I can't afford to take time off. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I probably, you know, if I'm being completely honest, I probably, you know, just I've really been just pushing through um, and it's been getting harder and harder. Uh, my mom's sur sur brain aneurysm surgery is next week, next Tuesday. So if you got any good vibes, send it that way. I, as soon as she gets past this, I'm, I'm being positive that it's going to go well and there's going to be little to no complications after. Um, and she's going to make a full recovery. 
but uh, and I'm sure after that happens, you know, uh, my nerves will be at ease. I'm still dealing with my own stuff, but I'll, I'll keep dealing with that. As keep whatever the universe wants to keep throwing my way, keep making my life a living hell. I'm okay with that, so long as my mama's okay. Uh, and uh, so thank you guys for your wishes there. But yeah, yeah. In case you haven't noticed, yeah, that 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 it's your you know it's it's been a bit it's been tough. And in fact, I'm only bringing this up because it is apropos of the podcast, folks. Because I'm actually going to take next week off. There's just a Bellator card. I think I'm only doing like a video breakdown for Junkie, which is great. The, the the light week falls on a very important week for me and my family. So I'm just going to be tending to that stuff. Usually I do a top five episode. I've been itching to do those, folks. I really have been. But I didn't book ahead, and I really I'm not conf I'm not really really confident with the product that I've been putting out as far as my podcast goes, and especially me podcasting. When let's be honest, I probably shouldn't be, but again, I'm not in a position where I can't. I have to keep consistency. So um, I've been just pushing through these. But this week's pod this week's research and everything has been just really extra hard to get to. Um, and I'll just leave it at that, you know, uh, but yeah, man, uh, whether it's health of mamas, whether it's mental health of me or you, I just, man, you got to give it all the respect it deserves and, and, and give it the acknowledgement because these things are important folks. So apologies for my subpar product. I will be taking a break from it next week because again, even if I was responsible and a good podcaster and scheduled ahead, I, uh, uh, especially, I mean, listen to me now. I, I, my head's not, not going to be anywhere to give you anything. So I'm going to regroup. Everything's going to go great. We're going to be back. Uh, big, big show for UFC 245. Um, uh, and, and we'll be back for UFC and ESPN seven as well. Uh, so, so, I'll, you know, we'll be back for sure. Just, um, I will be, uh, be, be taking next week off of this here, this here show. So, all right, that ties up with the mama and the drama. Sorry about that, folks. Shamil Gamzatov defeated Klitson Abreu by split decision. I thought um, Abreu won that. I picked Gamzatov, but I thought Abreu won. Um, Mangabed Ankalaev, KO front kicked. Dolce Lagiambula. Lagiambula. Um, yeah, it sucks because they're two young prospects. So that kind of sucks for that. So hopefully at least they can make it worthwhile and make sure Magomed Ankalaev gets a decent booking. And we see Dagestani Stipe further tested. Uh, Rustam Khabilov uh, came through with his old grind as per normal in a matchup that just really felt pointless against Sergei Kehandosko. Um, but hey, Khabilov by decision uh, hit. So that, that helped save me. And I'm glad I ended up playing Carl Roberson, even though I think I only ended up pulling the trigger at minus 115. Um, I was trying to wait for some dog money. It really just didn't come. But, uh, yeah, man, Kapilov it was kind of the read. It was his slow starts. And, um, you know, the athlete, he wasn't as small as I thought, but the athleticism and, 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 and speed really wasn't, a, you know, was going to play against him in this one. And it did. And props to Roberson, who, you know, when he should have been at his weakest, especially after the eye poke goes and uh, finishes him, with, you know, on the ground like that. That was awesome. Um you got to be happy for David Zavada defeating uh, Abu Kapar Nurmagomedov. I love how, like, immediately after he submits him, he, like, immediately goes to check that he's okay and shows the crowd that he's okay. <laughs> Even in the post fight, he was just like, I am glad that I won, but, uh, you know, by submission, that way no one got hurt. He was not hurt. I did not strike him. Ramzan Karadov, please let me fly home. I mean, uh, yes, he's, he did not hurt. <laughs> 
Uh, you know, but Zavada, man, you can't. Yeah, I feel good for that guy. That dude's a, that dude's a gamer. Who's, like I said, he's a gamer, man. I, I, I didn't like that line, but uh, also shouts to um, Aaron Bronstetter on the TSN MMA show. There, uh, apparently, he called that one. I think I listened to that episode too, but I can't remember what exact. Uh, I don't know if he called a submission, but he he picked and, and played Zavada there. So you got to give give the man some credit. Uh, Roosevelt Roberts. Unanimous decision over Alexander Yakovlev. This was another play that did not go Ave. But uh but man, props to props to Roberts. Showing that flash that he initially got what initially got us excited, I think. And uh, you know, showing that uh Diaz brothers swag with the boxing, the, the snaps. I would love to just see him go to the body more, man. If he starts going to the body, um, you know, more like a Nick than Nate, you know, uh that would be that would be amazing for Roberts, so We'll see uh, how he how he develops there. Um, Penny Kian Zed pretty much repeated her performance more or less against Jessica Rose Clark. Uh, you know I'm a big fan of Jesse Jess. Uh, hopefully she can get back on track with a, a more suitable matchup next. And now she's coming off of a big layoff. No excuses. Not that it would have gone the same way again. They they already fought once, folks. But but yeah, uh, props to Penny. Um, Hey, I'm glad I decided to throw some uh, throw some degenerate on this plus money because Davy Grant, that's right, Davy. Pony Davy Grant came through uh, over Gregory Popoff, who came out with like that music that sounded like the um, music going on in uh, uh, in uh, the kidnapping scenes in the movie Ransom with Gary Sinise, like the Nine Inch Nails kind of remix stuff. I don't know what the fuck Popoff was coming off to, but all right. Um, that marks that recap, and uh, yeah, folks, not not gonna push on to, not gonna talk about too much news or notes because um, like Logan Paul, this thing Logan Paul versus KSI two happened, and uh, I, I hate it. Obviously, contrarian Dan, traditionalist Dan, of course, yeah, I'm gonna hate it, but I really do because I don't. I'm really ignorant, so I'm not gonna speak too much. I will admit that I'm ignorant, but by the same token. For people saying that, whether it's like boxing media saying it's good for boxing, it was a money grab. Let's just admit what it was. The zone was just trying to grab money. Um, and for the argument of, yeah, but the numbers don't lie. Yeah, but look at their numbers. Look at the audiences they bring. Look at now they can use their YouTube audiences to crack open to another market. Like, I, um, I could care less, like because it's like the Kardashian effect, where at least Kardashian now is apparently trying to get you know criminals overturned, Kim or whatever. Props to her for that. Um, you know, not no props to her for you know marrying overrated ass Kanye. Um, but uh, oh man, you want to talk about overrated? Like Kanye in and out Burger, man. Like they're they're up there, top three, top five. But like at least she's doing that. But the point is the whole Paris Hilton Kim Kardashian stereotype of like what the fuck did they get famous for? You know. Um, I don't know about KSI, so I won't hail into him. But you guys know I'm not a, I'm, Logan Paul. Not exactly a sympathetic character, you know. Handsome, handsome devil, built like a Greek god. Just you know, all those things. Uh, but you know, desecrating uh, Japanese uh, suicide forests and culture, any culture, regardless if it's mine or not. Um, it just uh, you know, when when that's the kind of shit you do to get your your kind of fame, and you just look like you've had every kind of door held for you. And you've gotten every kind of uh, genetic nod, another nod in your favor. I'm not exactly, I can't really relate to that. Not a lot of people, I imagine, can. Well, well, the numbers say that, like, 
okay, cool. What the fuck does that have to do with combat sports? You know, this, I don't know. I, I don't know. So I just, that's why I didn't tweet about it. I kind of just protest. Like that's how, if you don't see me tweeting about things, because I feel like to vote with my dollars, that's what I'm going to do. Um, especially because you say things or you don't say it, you say the wrong things or you say your opinion and it just doesn't jive. God forbid. Um, it just stirs up this whole thing or, you know, me just being with MMA junkie or being in the media, it's going to, you know, loop me a certain way and I'm going to get looped in. By the way, shouts to Dave Doyle. The only thing I really followed or did was I read the, uh, his article recap on it. Uh, these guys' opinions, uh, I respect obviously. So, but like, I mean, yeah, I'm all, you, I'm just going to get lumped in with that media thing. So like with the Nick Diaz interview too, like, you know, people were like, Oh, I'm, you know, upset with the media coverage from that. And like, I am too folks. Like I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. I don't want to see him back. Like I just, you know, yeah, Nick's always been like that, but like, it's just, it, it, you know, somebody who obviously, um, I'm obviously sympathetic to mental health and I, I understand Nick in a whole lot of ways, even though I don't know him. Uh, I, I'm, I don't, I don't say I understand cause I don't know him. I say I'm sympathetic to him in a whole lot of ways. I should say it's more correct term. Uh, from an outsider point of view, um, and just following his career. And, uh, yeah, man, I just want to see the guy get healthy. Um, shoot, <laughs> man, Vegas is not a healthy place to be. I could tell you someone who lives here and, uh, sounds like Nick, uh, as well. Could you like, you know, use some positive company and, uh, it doesn't sound like he's been around Nate and the rest of the Nick Diaz army. And uh, I can tell you firsthand when you're not around, positive people even if you have them in your life and you're associated with if you're not if they're not in your day-to-day -day and you're you're spending your time you know well, god knows where i mean whether you're you know out partying like nick or you're stuck in a room like me it ain't healthy folks so i'm just wishing nick the best and then i wrote like steep a fury here that's just really crappy again it's how you win folks and I don't think Stipe is being a great winner. I'm not saying I'm sure Stipe is a great guy, he's a firefighter, all that. But like, you can be not very like, you cannot be not likable. But that doesn't mean you're a bad guy, folks. And so, but I will say though that Stipe just doesn't seem likable. Like, and that's fine. I think he's. I'm sure he's a great guy. I commend him. I give him all the accolades. I don't dislike him. I'm just saying he just doesn't come off as a likable guy because he never really put forth, and he's always been combative with his answers toward media. And that's so. Then when. He doesn't, you know, toot his own horn, doesn't build himself on the way up or take advantage when he's champion. And then Brock Lesnar steps in. Yeah, the UFC and the promotion is going to look a certain way and the media is going to talk about it um, when you're not doing yourself any favors. And you think you learned by that, but no, it still took it personally. And, uh, you know, it's just taking it personally, like like almost like an affront, like because DC humored a, a realistic fight. Ben, relax. All right, sorry, folks. Fucking Amazon. Um, but <laughs> thirty now. I got another timestamp. Another fucking edit. Um, but yeah, uh, it just you know, just he, I, you know, I, which I don't feel is fair. Uh, yeah, I'm a DC fan, I guess. But like, you know, that matchup was fair. And as soon as uh, as soon as it wasn't uh, realistic, um, DC stuck to his word, like he always said, and stayed consistent with that, and gave. Gave Miocic, uh, gave Miocic the shot. So, and then I just don't like any this boxing versus MMA talk. I think it's all just ridiculous. Um, so yeah, I'm just not a fan of that stuff. So, you know, rather than go on, uh, I'm gonna have uh, someone else sum up my words on something I posted on Twitter earlier. The great, late great 
Philip Seymour Hoffman as uh, Lester Bangs and Almost Famous. This is a scene where he's talking with a young aspiring journalist trying to get in the music scene. If you kind of swap it over the music for like MMA and, and UFC, boy, does this scene kind of hit me differently and maybe it hit you differently. So this will be audio only, obviously, because this is podcast is still an audio only podcast. But I'll let uh, I'll let Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, sum it up. Um, my feelings as of late with uh, with media and MMA and the state of things. And when we come back. Um, we'll break down the uh, card from top to bottom as per usual for UFC Sao Paulo. So, without further ado. Yeah, because once you go to LA, you're gonna have friends like crazy, but they're gonna be fake friends. You know, they're gonna try to corrupt you. You know, and you got an honest face, and they're gonna tell you everything. But you cannot make friends with the rock stars. Okay, if you're gonna be a true journalist, you know, a rock journalist, First, you never get paid much, but you will get free records from the record company. <laughs> Fucking nothing about you that is controversial, man. God, it's gonna get ugly, man. They're gonna buy you drinks. You're gonna meet girls. They're gonna try to fly you places for free, offer you drugs. And I know it sounds great. But these people are not your friends. You know, these are people who want you to write sanctimonious stories about the genius of rock stars, and they will ruin rock and roll and strangle everything we love about it. You know, because they're trying to buy respectability for a form that is gloriously and righteously dumb. You know, you're smart enough to know that. And the day it ceases to be dumb is the day it ceases to be real. Right? And then it just becomes an industry of cool. I, I mean, I'm telling you, you're coming along in a very dangerous time for rock and roll. I mean, the war is over. They won. And 99% of what passes for rock and roll these days, silence is more compelling. Yeah, that's why I think you should just turn around, go back, you know, and be a lawyer or something. tell from your face that you won't. I can give you 35 bucks. Give me a thousand words on Black Sabbath. An assignment? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey. You have to make your reputation on being honest and uh, you know, unmerciful. Honest, unmerciful. Yeah, if you get into a jam, you can call me. I stay up late. Tech Connect podcast for the breakdown of UFC Sao Paulo, UFC on ESPN Plus 22, to the smooth noise of Paranoid by Black Sabbath. Thank you for that. Uh, we are going to get to this breakdown top to bottom. Just a couple quick shouts that I wanted to get that I forgot to get on the last segment because I kind of tangented it off, so I apologize for that. Uh, but I just wanted to give a shout out to the Slip and Dip podcast. Uh, 
I'll probably give them a tweet when I when I get this hoodie in. But I just ordered myself a a, a hoodie from them, uh, Kendrick and Matt, and uh, was just listening to the last couple shows. Really good shows, man. They had they had a good one with with uh, with with uh, the dude uh, James Lynch on there, and then uh, another show this week that was really good. Really good interviews on there in general. Um, so definitely go check them out, and I'll definitely give their. Uh, their merch a shout out because it's hoodie season. I needed some hoodies and I was listening and they got me. And I know I'm <laughs> this podcast ain't worth a ain't worth ain't worth ain't worth a ain't worth a merch uh, ain't worth a, a merch setup yet. That's for damn sure. And uh, I am definitely not an organized podcaster to do it. That's for damn sure. So uh, instead, I will enjoy my friends' podcast stuff and give them a shout because they do a good job. Um, also, speaking of friends' podcasts and former podcasts, MMA Junkie Radio. Hit three thousand shows, uh, so congrats to Gigi and Goes. That uh, they've been doing two a week. Of course, that episode, the three thousands, was the first, which they recorded on Sunday night for Monday morning, and um, always good stuff there. And of course, go you know go go check out uh, the, the 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 triple the, the triple G show, um, gorgeous George and Goes show on their Patreon. And I just wrote here, I miss you, Junkie Nation. Um, I still talk to a lot of you. Uh, thankfully, you still interact with me for whatever reason. But uh, whether it be the phone calls, the interactions in the chat, all these different things, I definitely don't don't uh, talk to as many of you guys and uh, uh, miss, miss miss my friends. So just wanted to give you guys, so those of you listening, pass it on to those who do or don't. Uh, just 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 uh, just know that uh, I miss you guys. Um, all right, uh, and that's it. All right, okay, we got a. Uh, breakdown here 34 right that we're gonna go from top to bottom got the odds Jan Blakowicz is your favorite Blakowicz 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 minus 165 comeback on Ronaldo Souza plus 145 I got the full breakdown up at MMA Junkie um, in case you missed it in case I missed you know, details here but uh, basically yeah Souza going up to 205 pounds how will it fare you know, he's older, so that's got to be a good thing for him. But, you know, um, how will his style fare? You know, he's not exactly the biggest guy. So I don't know how grappling will do. Uh, and, you know, as we've seen, and I shouted out in the breakdown, uh, shouts to, to Phil McKenzie and Connor Rebush from Heavy Hands. I know they've been a, they've long posed this theory for a while as far as, you know, uh, fighters moving up to, uh, Grapple as opposed to strike. You know, we've seen the Robert Whitakers and Kelvin Gastons use speed and striking tend to maybe do better. There's an argument for that. Um, it's, you know, uh, whereas a, a fighter may be going up uh, like Kevin Lee to wrestle against Dos Anjos, Rockhold to wrestle against Reyes, or Rock or, or, or Weidman against Reyes, or Rockhold against Blakowicz, fighter in question here. Um, didn't go so well, right? So I actually... Suggest that uh, Souza will probably be more dangerous on the feet in this fight than by submissions, ironically enough, just by nature. And also, that's been the point of Souza's game, that he's been improving more in these last few uh, fights, last couple of years now, maybe even dating back to 2018. Uh, when he, you know, since he's relocated, I think in 2017, he relocated to mainland U.S., South Florida. That's why it's Fusion XL Gym. As opposed to XL Performance, which I believe is down in Brazil. 
where he's from. Uh, so, uh, but the trainers now he's striking with now more boxing center guys. So we're seeing Souza incorporate much more inside slips, left hooks to the liver, both of which play really well off his already dangerous and patented right hand. So all those things are good, but it's, it, you know, it's like his defense is only there when he decides to turn it on and he'll have good head movement, but relying on speed and reaction as you get older and kind of having that attitude toward damage that he does can be worrisome. So uh, we've seen in victory or defeat, whether it goes to the judges or not, uh, he's taken damage and it's been hard to award him rounds that maybe uh, upon rewatch, he probably should have gotten, you know, because he's swinging with that body language. He fights really well when he's tired, but again, that body language too, um, doesn't do him any favors within the judges. Granted, he's going to be in Brazil and have the crowd behind him, but he's also going to have two more rounds and 20 more pounds essentially to deal with. That's not including the weight, the elevated weight on the opposite end that I'll be having to push and fight and work against. Um, and Blakovich has, you know, how underrated wrestling has really improved that. You know, it's proved his wrestling, cardio, kind of proved everything, really. Wrestling cardio and maybe working off of his jab and working off him and his opponent's straight shots have been the main three things that have improved. Um, the cardio is kind of the more shocking one because that was kind of the thing. You know, you will go watch Jan's other fights. You know, he's more willing to fight from his back outside of the UFC than you watch the fights when he gets into the UFC and he's pushed into those later rounds. You kind of see what happens, but he's really improved that. Uh, so I, I like that cardio edge here. I also think he has the wrestling edge and will dictate where this fight stays in place. So then if it becomes a striking match or a, a, a fight in the clinch, um, I feel like Blockowicz is going to land the better shots. I feel like he's the better striker off of breaks. Uh, in fact, that's where I kind of see in him doing his uh, eventually sparking off a finish in the later rounds, like I say in my breakdown. But I also think his straight shots and just jabs are going to pay pay a lot of dividends. Um It'll give Jockery opportunities to faint bait his jab out of him and go over the top, slip you know, slip inside and throw over the top. He could certainly hurt Jan, but I feel like Jan just has more tools, is the more durable guy and will have the better tank. So I'm going to go with Jan by, by a stoppage in rounds three or four. Um, I took a little sprinkle on the block of woods inside the distance line at plus one, two, three. I know, that's what I got it at. Um, so yeah, we'll see, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, you know, he's, he sounds dialed in. He got to Brazil early. Let's see, you know, it's hard not, it, it's hard to, to, to root against, too hard against Sousa though. I mean, he's, he's, he's a likable dude, man. Um, always love watching that guy fight. So we'll see. Next fight here, Shogun Hua minus 280. Come back on Paul Craig plus 240. The Scotsman taking this on uh somewhat shorter notice there. Um, I can't remember who he fill on uh, is filling in for off the top of my head. I apologize, but he was in shape. He doesn't cut a lot of weight. Uh, man, he seems like a guy that stays in shape and contests that he does show. So uh, I don't think that's going to be too much of a problem. I think Paul Craig will still be Paul Craig in the sense that he'll be just as dangerous early as he is late. But his one shot at a time, naked kicks, backs himself up into the fence. Um, aside from changing a level for a shot doesn't move his head the most it's really hard to, to to back that against a lot of guys much less shogun i know shogun's older and albeit a headbutt apparently that rocked him early in his last fight against tyson pedro um 
I had to double check him. Did I, did I pick Pedro against him? Because I'm, I've been a guy who's usually been been pretty and nothing against Pedro, but just again where his skills are at, kind of like with Taitui Vasa, I've been more healthily skeptical toward him, I guess you could say. But I, I ended up picking him, I guess. But I, I, I'm pretty sure in the breakdown, I said you know avoid it, it's, unless you play the dog. Excuse me. And uh, but yeah, I mean. Even if it was a headbutt, it still, you know, Shogun just looked like he barely stayed on balance on his legs without getting rocked these days, you know? Even though he's only coming out once a year, which is probably smart for him at this point. Um, is this a retirement fight? I don't know. It's crazy. Dave Doyle just tweeted a, a tweet earlier today. It was like, he's been in UFC now twice as long than he was in Pride, which is crazy. I mean, think of how long that Shogun 2005 Pride run was, but... He's gotten older. He waits. He, sits, he knows when to sit on that right hand, when to counter, when to crash with it. Um, and his wrestling and grappling is still intact. Ultimately, that's the last thing to go. So ultimately, I think um, that's what makes uh, the line so confident, despite Hua being kind of faded traditionally in his last last few years. Um, you know, it, it's hard to see Craig knocking him out. He's really going to have to land the perfect shot on him. And... Uh, He's, it's pretty much opportunistic sub submission from bottom or bust, but Shogun can still hurt guys with ground and pound. You know, I don't know if he's going to be flying over Paul Craig's legs like he did Alistair Overeem back in the day. You know, like at uh, like in Pride, but uh, I, I do think uh, Shogun wins rounds and perhaps does get a stoppage on the ground here uh, against Paul Craig. Uh, Paul Craig's a brown belt, talented grappler from top and bottom, but. Shogun's a longtime black belt, and again, that's the last thing to go. He's been training with uh, Damian Maya in Sao Paulo. He's always had a good relationship with him for the past couple years. So I'm, I'm sure he's getting his polish there. So I'm going to go with Shogun Hua um, by uh, round two, uh, ground and pound stoppage. Um, I don't blame you if you want to use Hua as a parlay piece, but it just feels weird to, to bank a guy at that price at his age, you know? Um, and especially against a guy who, you know, the only way he wins is by upsetting in fights that he shouldn't. So <laughs> perhaps that's the flag there on why the line is high, but not getting higher and why someone like me is picking it pretty specifically yet not playing it for what that's worth. Um, I do have a two legger though coming up and it is not Charles Oliveira who is a big favorite. Who's just been getting bet up higher and higher and higher. Now minus 410 with a comeback on Jared Gordon plus 330. I love Jared Gordon. And, um, you know, uh, Charles Oliveira has been a guy that I faded at times. Um, been pretty good lately. I don't think I picked against him since his last loss against Felder. So I've been pretty good about picking his fights lately. But, you know, it was kind of always hard to know where he was going to come out at. And I didn't have, have a lot of faith in him. So he would be a guy I would fade, but especially at this price. But And I, and I love Jared Gordon. I'm a, I'm a big fan of... You know, again, we can't we can't judge people too harshly because you could go from hearing some really bad stuff from you know they that you know uh, verified by certain people that I trust, but then you, you 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 can make these ill judgments and run away from them and you know be sympathetic at the same time, obviously. So yeah, I don't want to get too crazy, but we all know Jared Gordon's story and how can he not like that though? How can he not root for that guy, right? I'm sure, you know. He has his own issues and problems, and that's kind of part of his story, though, and I, and I appreciate that. That being said, i got to judge this fight as an analyst. can't let the personals, good or bad, get in the way, even though they do sometimes. And i got Charles Oliveira here, man. It's really tough. Uh, you see where, just, I mean, 
not even just on the ground. Uh, Carlos Diego Head is not just a, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. He's a really good one. I think he's like a second or third degree or something like that. Um, so that's not too crazy. Uh, but even though Jared Gordon, is he a brown or does he finally get his black belt? You know, he's, he's trained at Henzo's, Donahers, and those guys. And, you know, now he trains over at uh, Rufus Sport. Um, with, uh, you know, and they got, who do they got? Daniel Vanderlei down there and a lot of great MMA fighters. So he's, he's getting looks. He's got the wrestling base. But, man, you know, we've we just seen, you know, you, you give that front headlock or guillotine series, and we've seen Oliveira put away the best of them. In fact, most of the guys, the only guys that he really hasn't put away, ironically enough, were guys like strikers and stuff, or just guys that were schooled and, you know, that could, that, that, that really studied it and knew what to get out of, like the Felders and the Jeremy Stevens of the world uh, and, and whatnot, right? Um, and he was still able to win one of those fights. Uh, so, and when you look at the striking, um, he's always had a really good Muay Thai, but man, his, his boxing and hands have been really getting better. His left hand's been m way more educated, which is funny. One of my first calls on the junkie radio was like an, an uh, uh, wasn't an analysis call, it was a post-fight call. Uh, it was my first or second uh, calls, I should say. And it was kind of like recapping. And uh, I was talking, I forget what fight it was for... It probably was a fight that he lost, actually. Charles Oliveira, I think Jim Miller beat, just beat him. And I called in after, and I was just like, man, if this guy could just have a jab to kind of control when he wants to grapple with somebody. Because clearly he had a, he, already, he still had a dangerous opportunistic game despite being a purple belt um, at, at that time. But I'm like, man, if this guy, you know, gets a better left hand, and he's been getting that, you know. Um, his uppercut with his right, I mean, he's been sticking guys with his right hand, whether it's his cross or the uppercut that he got a Timor uh, with, but it's being set up by his left hand. Like his left hand, he's, he'll, he'll go from jabs, up elbows to like where he's combing back the hair, Muay Thai style, crashing in. Um, and he'll even like kind of slip and do inside uh, uppercuts with inside lead uppercuts. Um with that lead hand and like he'll do a bunch of different stuff there or he'll throw away he'll throw away the left hand and then throw the right like it, it I'm really liking the, these quiet little improvements uh, technical improvements uh, that I'm seeing from Oliveira so you, you you know even if he wants to pocket box you know and you look at Jordan, Gordon's fight with uh, Silva there and you're just like oh shit yeah, man, I don't, I'm not sure where Jared Gordon wins this fight. Uh, I do think Oliveira gets it done inside. I think he's going to spark it off from the feet. Um, but he could also get him with a front choke. Better seem kind of displaced where to put their money. The inside, the distance lines have been driven up. Some sub lines been, you know, driven up. But you can still get some decent plus money on a TKO line. And it's only like plus 140 for round one, so it's pretty insane. I'm, I'm, I'm late to the party. Of course, as, as always, when it comes to betting lines. So I didn't get none. Uh, but my pick is Oliveira, for what that's worth. Um, no plays except for probably the, the main card parlay that I always do for fun. Andre Muniz now moved as the favorite over Antonio Arroyo. Uh, Muniz minus 120, Arroyo plus 100. This has pretty much been a favorite pick of mods for the most part of the week when I've seen it. Um, Antonio Arroyo, I think, had one or two opponent changes for this fight. So Munez is coming in short notice, but he still should be in shape from um, his last fight. And it looks like he's been training. In fact, even trained, I believe, with Junior Dos Santos, if I'm not mixing up the two. Uh, whereas Antonio Arroyo, um, where the hell has he been training? 
Uh, let me uh, type them in. Sorry, it's been a minute since I did the, this. Is like one like the second fight I uh, tried to break down, or I broke down on the card there. There he goes, Antonio Arroyo. Where, where have you been training, sir? You weren't the one I saw with Junior Dos Santos, were you? Um, Albuquerque, New Mexico. That's right. He's been he's had an on and off relationship with uh, Jackson Wink there, and you can kind of see it because he'll do just like really like I wrote um, Arroyo Giant Domingo Pilarte. Um and he looks like Domingo Pilarte, like a giant sized Domingo Pilarte. Um except uh, he is not a southpaw. He will fight from southpaw occasionally. You know, you know, show those Jackson Wink moves. They'll go, they'll especially go southpaw when he's trying to set up that like Leo Machida karate style back foot sweep trip, uh, the standing one. But, but the problem is he doesn't really do combos. It's all very like big opportunistic moves, big kicks, big flash. Uh, even though I, it, it, you know, uh, wrongly picked against him in the uh, in contender series, I should have picked him over the smaller. I shouldn't have picked the smaller, uh, the smaller uh, Regman over him. But, uh, you know, let's be honest, folks, it wasn't really, uh, my, my more concern was my articles were more after. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't like the, uh, the Greek out there telling you where to put your money or anything. So I could at least rest on that. Uh, not taking the shot on him, just saying that wasn't really my focus that series. But, yeah, that was a bad pick. But at the same time, I, I tend to pick against these type of guys, right? He's, uh, oh, he's athletic, he's capable, and I'm sure he'll be much better. He gets better each time, but... Um, you know, his losses are by submission, and unless he gets an opportunistic kick, I'm not seeing enough from boxing range that's going to uh, knock out Muniz. All Muniz's losses are by knockout, but you really got to go. This guy's been fighting for a minute, at least especially compared to um, Arroyo, which I imagine why people are picking Muniz as well. He's, he's, a really, he's a good ground fighter. He's a big boy for the division. You got to worry more about him making weight. He's a southpaw. Um and I don't think he's super chinny. It was like the, if you look at it, he went and took some fight in tech prep. You know, he took a he fought a carrot off guy uh, in a carrot off promotion, like you know, in carrot off's backyard. Okay, and it he uh, the guy caught him cold as well, and it was also an undefeated guy, and that guy is still undefeated. And again, he was a southpaw, so it was a southpaw for southpaw, and he got hit with the southpaw killer, which is a left hand, whether it's an overhand or a left hook. Those are the most devastating shots to land on a southpaw. Um, and he landed that perfect left hand, and as Minez went into it, he just knocked him dead. Um, I don't see that from Arroyo. I don't see that skill. Uh, he just throws in ones and twos and. And he's just more of an opportunistic guy. I think he's a Marajo brother. So Alcantara's, yeah, that's right. That's how he has the connection with Jackson Wink because he, he jumped on with Yuri when Yuri would do his camps there. So that's how he has the connection with Jackson Wink. But again, very opportunistic. And it looks like his ground game has gotten better, but he's not going to be as good as uh, Munez. So if Munez is in decent shape, I, I think you should be able to either – Submit him within two rounds or win those two rounds with grappling, control, and pressure. Because, again, Arroyo will back himself into the cage, and that's where Minas wants to fight. So, um, you know, those kicks will probably just get him taken down. Uh, so I, I see Minas, at worst, banking two rounds, having to survive the third. That being said, I did put this on my avoid list because the line just didn't – it wasn't going in the way of my pick as well as it just seems really risky. It really risky. We really don't know. With these guys, you know, Munez seems like the guy that could shit the bed as the favorite, whereas Arroyo is the type of guy where he's probably going to win when he's not supposed to. So 
they're both poised to do what they could potentially do. But I'm going to go with Muniz to get the win. I agree with where the money's going. All right, next fight. Um, next fight. Uh, this one, uh, Perez has been the favorite, but money's coming and coming in on Turman. He was just uh, a slight dog, and now they're both pretty much pick and favorite. Yeah, Marcus Perez minus one fifteen, Wellington Turman minus one hundred five. Um, so money came out on him. I don't blame it. Good luck if you're a Turman better. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for you to cash that. But this fight is also on the avoid list because this also feels just like a potential shit show. Um, I'm picking Perez here, but it's begrudgingly. Uh, Perez was a guy I was kind of overly hard on, and then I kind of had to recorrect the steering wheel. But I might have overcorrected the steering wheel, and maybe my initial hunches on him being kind of a fucking head case and being terrible. <laughs> Not terrible, but like, you know, just the head case translating to him not utilizing his skills. Let's put it the polite way. Uh, one of those is definitely true. The guy definitely seems like he's kind of a head case. I mean, you hear his coaches yelling at him, like, come on, focus this round, focus. And, you know, like with the Andrew Sanchez fight where he lost, and it was, like, too little too late. So it's like, okay, it wasn't a cardio issue. Maybe you might have been worried about cardio, but no, because you're throwing flashy stuff, so you, you weren't worried about cardio. You just weren't smartly turning on the pace. And all of a sudden, he has the pace and the fight IQ come round three, where it's too little too late, right? Uh, so it's really hard to bet on a guy like that, but he is the guy that I know I just bet I just bet against I just bet on the short no, uh, not bet but I picked against the uh, original opponent and and sided with the short notice opponent in the previous matchup. I'm going opposite logic here. Um, I will back the, the I will back uh, not with money for damn sure, but as far as a pick goes, I'll back Perez. Wellington Terman taking this fight on short notice. I think maybe he was the one. Was Terman the one training with? Uh, a little bit of JDS. You got some of that action down there. Tata fight team or whatever. But yeah, Terman's in Brazil. Kind of taking the fight short notice. I, I, again, I thought he won against Carl Roberson. But he hasn't shown me enough on the feet. Like his process. Like I could see him. If he wins here, I think people are counting that he's. I don't, I don't know if he's going to be able to submit Perez. I don't think he'll be able to. So Perez is a black belt and training with really good black belts at American Top Team. But Terman's path to victory is making it ugly against the fence. Taking advantage of... Perez's inefficient work rate and just smothering his game for two rounds. Maybe, you know, I don't think he gets the submission, but work towards something and just gets banks two rounds in the bag. Um, maybe gasses out the third. But not just short notice, but Perez has, has spent this and I believe his last couple camps, I want to say, at American Top Team. And again, you know, big gyms can be hit or miss special attention as this guy sparring part, you know, some guys could be in there and they're just being the nail though all day and they're not getting special attention from the coaches. And, you know, depending on who, the reason why they're in that gym or, you know, whether it's because of a certain guy or like a guy got him in, like it's one of my boys, but you're gonna be training with me. And I'm going to beat you up or you're not one of my boys, but I'm one of the more head honchos in the gym and you're, your style fits mine, so you're going to be paired up with me. And in the Instagram post, you're going to be like, yeah, I'm training with the champ. But really, you're just getting fucking hammered by the champ. Believe me, I've been that guy. <laughs> Believe me, I've, I've always been that guy. Uh, so I'm not not shitting. I, I, I sympathize, but that doesn't mean it ain't happening. Um, but that, at the same time, another safer stereotype you can make about the bigger gyms is they have better facilities. So they're going to have cages. They're going to have um, more reliable walls. More specifically, they're going to have MMA coaches and MMA partners 
that force you and educate you one way or the other, whether it's the partner kicking your ass the hard way, making you learn, or the proper way the coach is educating you on wall work. You're going to get a lot of good wall work. A lot of these gyms, whether not even just talking about South America, you know, where the fight's taking place, uh, just in general, we see it with U.S. fighters too, right, where they're not in prominent areas, so they're having to go here for their boxing, they're having to go here for their strength and conditioning, you know. So wherever they go for their wrestling or jujitsu, and usually it's jujitsu and not wrestling, right? And if it's jujitsu, is their jujitsu coach going to be skilled in MMA? Is the jujitsu coach going to be skilled in wrestling? Are they going to be skilled in cage work and mat work, MMA and wrestling? And if so, how much of that are you going to get? Because mat work um, and, um, you know, wall work, I should say mat work, yeah, wall work, I should say, uh, and cage work is not exactly what you're drilling um, in your jiu-jitsu classes. You know, even if it's a no-gi and more geared toward MMA, you're not exactly doing that. You have to be in MMA-specific practices. And again, the big facilities will have those MMA-specific practices. They will have the walls to work on, the coaches and so forth. So a lot of these fights, especially lower-level fights, that get won or lost in the clinch, which I believe this one will be. Uh, I'll go with the guy getting that training, getting those looks, and the guy who is more proven and well-rounded in other areas. So I'll go with Marcus Perez, but it's on my avoid list. Good luck if you're playing the dog. You got some plus money. All right, next fight, James Krause, minus 190 now. It's climbing up a little higher against Sergio Moraes, plus 165. I'm always a big fan of Panther Moraes. He's happy. I think that's what he comes out to, and he's a little dance. Uh, seems like a really likable guy, but, man, I feel like we've seen this type of fighter, uh, you know, give him problems, even though he actually beat Tim Means. But we've seen, as fights have been going on, Mariah's been getting less dependable, putting the trigger, you know. Um, another long fighter, uh, Anthony Rocco Martin, I believe, right? Um, but yeah, like, the guy's only 37, but he seems older, doesn't he? Uh, Mariah's. And he's getting, you know, He's getting knocked out. It seems like it's, uh, I mean, Kamaru Usman and Worley Alves, but, like, you know, he's either getting knocked out, gassing out, um, if he's not running through guys with, the, with the, when there's a clear pathway. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, last minute, Davi Hamo, she was a lightweight, and, and you know, he got to kickbox with his stout guy with T-Rex arms. Takes a split, which you could argue went the other way. Uh, beats Ben Saunders. Granted, he was a tall guy, but again, was was was, you know, let's be honest. Ben Saunders is on a, on a really bad run. You don't need me to do that math for you. Loses to Anthony Martin, gets knocked out by Worley Alves. Of course, knocked out by Kamaru Usman as well within that run. Barely gets a split division over Zach Otto, which that hasn't aged well. Um, I picked Luan Chagas to beat him, but Luan Chagas has underperformed in that fight and since then, and still got the draw. Um, and then that Omariak Madoff fight looks great because it's in the third round. But that we got to go back to 2015 when the USADA changeover was happening, folks. You know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, I, I don't I don't know how much how much stock to put into that. Whereas James Kraus, you know, you're like, what's his motivation? He's not fighting much. But hey, that worked. It seems to work out for him. It seems to be a recipe that works for him. You know, he's a smart guy. He comes in dialed in with a good game plan. He's got a lot of tools that he shows to be sharpening up. Um, I don't think I went to the Instagram on this one, but I believe he's, I, I gotta believe he's back out there with, uh, cross training with, uh, team elevation. Um, sorry, I studied this fight a minute ago, uh, as well, cause I was looking at this one. Um, yeah, a little bit, a little bit of cross training there. 
Uh, but yeah, um, I don't I don't see him getting submitted by Marais unless he gets like rocked by something first. Um, and I just see you know Marais' shell in defense, and we just saw what leg kicks do to him. I think from leg to calf, uh, front teeps up the center, knees, body kicks. Like James Krause's weapons are going to work really well against um, against Sergio Marais, and I just think that. Especially the way they train there at uh, Evolu Tower, that hard sparring, and just the years and stuff. I think they've caught up to him. So I'm actually going to take Kraus here, and he's a he's one leg of a two leg parlay that I did for fun there. So uh, James Kraus. All right, next fight: Ricardo Ramos minus three thirty five. Eduardo Gatagori. Um, Gatagori, it, it's tough. He should have beat Bandanai anyways, because Bandanai is like. Jesus, fucking Pinedo. Like, these guys that just shouldn't have been in the UFC, they're just here because we need to fill a schedule, sadly. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he's, he's better than your average Joe uh, from those parts. He really knows how to strike. I really like how he puts the combinations together. He'll do Dutchies from Southpaw. Um, when he does take him down, he does smart get-ups. He'll push the head, get his back to the fence, uh, you know, uh, uh, which is going to come in real handy considering the back taker that Ricardo Ramos is. Um, that being said, I still think... Ricardo Ramos, um, despite moving up in weight, should have not just the grappling, but even the wrestling edge, and that should save him here if he uses it. Um, he's got enough weapons at range to make this fun, but I feel like Gatagori, especially this number, is live. Like, this almost went on my avoid list. Um, it didn't, but I will say I'm avoiding. I ain't playing the chalk here. Uh, I think it's trap. I think anything minus 250 above over Ricardo Ramos right now is is, is trap, especially against... A guy like Gatagori, who people are going to look at the South American resume and write him off, but this dude can actually strike. Um, he actually has a good sense for the fight, uh, a good sense for a cage fight, and to get back to his feet. So Gatagori's live, man. Um, if you have some extra ducats or something, and you 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 you're, and that line keeps you know sprinkling up plus like goes to plus three hundred or above, I may just sprinkle on him with with you there, folks. But the pick is is Ramos. I just think it's trapped to be laying that chalk. We'll see. All right, Francisco Trinaldo minus 140, Bobby Green plus 120. You know, Francisco Trinaldo is usually the guy that's on. When he's the dog, that's when I'll say it's a trap for the, for the favorite. But Francisco Trinaldo's the favorite against a guy's style, like I said, I really like Bobby Green. That being said, I, I, I do agree with the line here. Um, I don't think he should be a home run favorite, but I think Francisco Trinaldo should be your favorite here. Uh, and he also is my pick. You know, Bobby Green, aside from Jacob Christmas Vulcan, who, no offense to Jacob Christmas, was a wrestler grappler, wasn't a striker guy. He only fought at a softball because he was a wrestler. Um, aside from him and Eric Koch, who had a good first round, but then, you know, and also we kind of seen, you know, again, not taking a shot or anything, but Eric Koch's been, you know, with his motivation and performances and weight jumping. I mean, I don't know how well that, that one ages, but those are... I think Bobby Green's only career wins against Southpaws, at least notable Southpaws or UFC-level Southpaws. Because dating back all the way to Dan Lozon, who technically, yes, UFC-level Southpaw, did fight in the UFC, um, he's lost all the Southpaws he's faced. In fact, three of the four times that Bobby Green's only been stopped four times in his career, but three of those four times have come to Southpaws. Of course, one another one was a submission, which was to an Orthodox fighter, but the other two... And only two stoppage losses were against Southpaws. Dustin Poirier, who actually hit him with a, you know, was, was hitting him with the shifting right hand from Orthodox because he was doing the same shifting game that Bobby Green does, but was doing it to him, but better. And um, 
shit. Who was that other Southpaw? Uh, oh, Tim Means and King of the Cage, uh, TKO retirement room. Um, so yeah, uh, and, and Bobby Green, kind of like Dom Cruz noted, likes to slip to his right side. So it makes that difficult, you know. It's dangerous when you, especially if you have a uh, big head kicks and and punches like Masa Randuba coming at you. But it also takes away the jab. Now Bobby Green saw for that when he finally, you know, uh, when he finally got together and 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 um, got got that victory over a notable southpaw striker, which is Eric Koch. Um, and I want to say finally, like it's an insult or anything. Like you know, uh, again, I like Bobby Green here. Uh, but what he did was he went to southpaw himself because, again, Bobby Green is so dependent on that jab that it was fucking him up when he did guys go southpaw on him. So what he would do when guys would go southpaw on him or against this said dedicated southpaw on Eric Koch, he went southpaw himself and was working off his right jab and was even doing, like, inside, with, you know, uh, some slick stuff, you know, slipping on the inside and throwing left hands over the top, left crosses over the top. Real slick stuff, but again, kind of like Cruz and many will note that your your defense will usually, even if your offense is good, your defense will usually be the one thing that kind of lasts across the finish line and catch up with everything. And you could argue that was the case because even though Coke got tired, more hurt, and less effective as the fight went on, uh, from early to late, he was still technically able to hit Bobby. Uh, Bobby was very hittable. Now, yes, Bobby's hands were down, and that's kind of what turns him off to judges and fans alike. And even prognosticators trying to predict his fights is that that, that turns a lot of people off. Uh, and I know, obviously, for the obvious reasons, it contributes to him getting hit. But I would also argue he was getting hit more than usual doing those kind of things because he was in southpaw. Now, against Eric Koch left hands, maybe more forgiving than an Eric Koch left kick. But an Eric Koch left hand or kick I don't think is as forgiving as a Masa Randuba left hand or kick. So for that reason, I'm going to go with Monster and Dubin. I actually think he might get the finish here. The over is really stacked uh, for this fight. Um, under is plus 250, so by that nature, maybe I should take a shot on that. But uh, I think uh, I think Monster and Duba either banks the first two rounds and loses the third, or uh, my prediction is, is, is that he uh, knocks Bobby Green out in the second round. Um that's going to suck as a Bobby Green fan if that happens, but that's what I see happening here. Maybe that over will be worth a shot because, you know, if uh, Bobby Green's path to victory in Brazil, um, I think it's going to be hard for him to win a decision. So I think he's going to have to not just put a pace, but he's going to have to get Trinaldo to grapple with him. Bobby Green is underrated grappling, and I, and I think that he's good, good enough scramble and wrestler so that he can get out from underneath Trinaldo, but I think he needs to get Trinaldo to try to take him down in this fight. If he can get Trinaldo to grapple with him early, that's a great sign for Bobby Green to have a really good third round. Um, but I think he's going to need to finish him because I wrote close Green scorecard theory. I feel like judges are human, just like uh, you know I I talked about. I'm not going to get on that tangent, but I talked about that you know biases affecting me, affecting all of us. Right? We have to recognize those things. I think they affect judges too. And remember, I talked about that first Claudia Gadelia. I always cite that first Claudia Gadelia and Jacek fight. Everybody says that it should have went Gadelia's way, but my argument that is, if you look at it, the third round, which Gadelia was actually you know one of the rounds in question, Gadelia throws the late shot, and. Everybody picked it up. The crowd, the broadcast, the referee, the opponent, and then Claudia herself, because after she did it, she immediately you see it on her face, go, Oh my god, what I do, I'm so sorry. Like she got caught, you know, she got caught being an asshole. Dan Tom knows how that feels, right? 
Um, and you got to imagine that affected the judges because that round you could argue was going Claudia's way. But if you're a judge and that's a close round, and this round's close, but I got to give it to Claudia probably off all this damage, right? And then you see that and you go, man, am I going to give this hinging round to this fucking jerk? You know? <laughs> and they probably gave it to Joanna. Um, and you look at it, round one was probably the round in question, the swing round um, for Drakkar Close and Bobby Green. But you look at it, even though Drakkar Close was the one that was committing the foul and to the point where so blatant that even the broadcast and Anik and those guys are, call, are great at calling it politely, and, but they're also straight as well. But they're, they're, they're obviously they'll err on the side of professionalism, politeness, something I should probably do a, 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 bit, a bit more. But even they were like, hmm, looked a little bit intentional there. But despite that, the judges, without a point taken away, the judges can't really react to that, right? Um, but what I think the judges did react to was Bobby Green, even though he was in the right, the way he was, you know, Bobby Green does his kind of crap talking. And I think that's cost the green rounds in the past. Like, you know, people, oh, he's so cocky. They don't see what he's doing. Like, I see what he's doing. And that's why, again, hence, I love Bobby Green's style. The problem is fans and judges don't see that. So he gets into a lot of these close fights. That's why there's so many draws and split decisions for Bobby Green fights, right? And you look at that close... And I wrote close green scorecard theory. And my theory was because he was being vocal, saying, oh, he's cheating, he's cheating, you see? I won. And then he was, at the end, he was kind of you know being cocky in the round to show that he won the, the round. And I scored the round for him. But I got to wonder, did maybe, you know, those judges, it didn't affect my bias, but you know, wonder, did it affect those judges' bias where they go, cocky bullshit, you know? Um, you know, Izzy's been a big sparker of that conversation lately, right? How we... We look and judge cockiness. Whether you agree with him or not, I think he brings up some great conversation points. And I guess you could consider this as one of them. So I just wanted to throw that theory out there. That's why it's hard hard to bank on Green to get scorecards no matter where he's at, much less fighting a Brazilian in Brazil. So the pick is uh, the pick is, is Trinaldo there. Um, no, no, no plays for me. All right, next fight. Uh, Worley Alves, minus 125. Come back on Randy Brown, plus 105. Uh, Lanky's bouncing around yo-yoing on this one. Um, I was interested in it. I don't blame anybody. I think you can make strong arguments on each side. It's tough. I mean, Worley Alves, when he's the hammer, we it's like it's weird. It's like I know I was always hard on Worley Alves, but I was right. He's a, he's a clock checker. You know me. I got I I sniff out clock checkers. He's a habitual clock checker. I fucking salivate when I see clock checkers. And Worley Alves was a clock checker. Brian Barberina came through with as my dog there, right? One of my, one of my, one, you know, again, I know I said I don't do victory laughs, but that's one I bring up a lot. I grant it, but it's apropos. It's apropos. Uh, but then you look and Worley Alves, oh, maybe he's getting things together, you know. But how much is he getting things together? I mean, you look at Salito Ohari, that, 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 that win did not age well at all. We kind of seen what his skill level was at, right? But you got to give Worley credit for fighting smart and pacing himself for three rounds. And then we saw him do it against Marias, getting the knockout in the third round. You're like, that's great. But at the same time, he was the, the hammer the whole fight. You know, he hurt midway through the round. He already debilitated Marias' leg. So Marias couldn't really put, push a, a pace effectively on him. You know, so how much, how much is Worley's car, cardio really there? So he's shown improvements. But how much should we be really giving him credit for that? Well, as I'm arguing here, is up for argument. And the matchup also breaks down another another strange way, which is why I'm not trying to deter you plays either way. Whereas initially I'm looking at Alves and like, oh man, um, it's 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 tough. How how is how is Worley going to deal with uh, a reach deficit? But you look at the one of his newer striking tools that he's really really honed in on more and more, which are leg kicks. You know, against a tall guy, 
leg kick. And I'm like, oh, he's got to know what the calf kick is, right? Even though he does more traditional leg kicks. But even a calf kick against Randy Brown, maybe he lands even one of those in this fight, folks. And the fight trajectory already, already tilts in Alves' favor. I just feel like he's going to have to show that game plan early and be able to do it early. Whereas Randy Brown, he's shown not to check kicks before. But then when his corner told him to check kicks, he they were lackadaisical checks. But he did show some checks and he also did just show better distance awareness whether he's switching his stances or playing his distance accordingly and came back made the adjustments and was able to get the win hard to judge that one against brian barbarina because barbarina not making excuses for him trying to take away from brown but the dude wasn't even able to spar and had, had a shit camp had a bad back bunch of injuries and you just hear the stuff that he's going through now and he's going to be out for indefinite periods of time so that can take away shine, but knowing that when I went back to watch that fight, I kept that out of my mind because I don't want that to take away from Randy Brown and just try to judge from what. Again, you can you can't get too hung up on the opponent. Is oh, but look at the opponent. That can mislead you to a certain point. You really got to look at who the fighter is and what they're doing. And Randy Brown is making improvements, and at the age of 29, he should be. He's entering his prime, in his prime, and uh, making improvements all the time, as he says. Uh. So you look at the leg kicks and, you know, you do wonder about the wrestling. Uh, you saw Barbarina able to get him in a guillotine catch. And you got to think a guy has good, you know, Randy Brown's been getting guillotines since he's an amateur. So he's got a good guillotine. You got to imagine he has good guillotine defense. Um, but at the same time, you know, we, we, we've seen him when he goes for takedowns. He's vulnerable to, to be put in that position. And we saw how quickly he went to his back. You go to your back against Worley Alves in Brazil. Worley knows what to do. He's going to throw hard ground strikes. He's going to score points. And the judges are sure as shit going to give him the round. But again, can Worley keep it? Um, and, and can, uh, you know, can can he scramble? We didn't see too much on the ground from Brown in his last year. But he was able to, you know, fight on the ground safely with Mickey Gall. I think he can with Worley Alves. So I'm actually going to take Randy Brown here and his knees. He's been getting knee KOs sprinkled in throughout his entire career. But just recently, you're just watching how he incorporates his knees in that Barbarina fight, and I could see him hitting. Uh, you just see that same shot that you know. I can't help but see the same shot that you know Kraus hit Alves with. You know, when you look at that, that kind of how that frame uh, meshes, and I don't think that frame works really well. I don't think he likes to fight um, taller guys. Now there's a, a whole big list to go off of because Nordin Taleb, he, you know, was able to choke out relatively quickly, and again he lost to James Kraus, got TKO'd. You know, Sultan Olive retired. That name didn't age well, nor was it really worth much in the first place. Um, Marias, again, we might see this weekend, Marias, his run might be a little more apparent. Uh, maybe on his way out to Lahari, that did not age well. Uh, Kovic Covington, obviously, that win obviously ages well, that quick win. But then he gets Nordin Taleb pretty quickly, too. Joe Ban, which he probably didn't win. And yeah, you, 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 you know, it's subjective, it's super subjective. But uh, you can make arguments on both sides, but I feel like more more of an argument is a bit solid and built on some more stable ground uh, on the Randy Brown side of the equation. So since he's one of the only dogs here that I'm picking as well, I think um, I also took a shot on Randy Brown. Nothing big, just threw a half unit plus 100. Now it's plus 105, but hey. All right, uh, next fight. Douglas De Silva D'Andrage, minus 260. Hennon Burrell, plus 220. Oh, Douglas De Silva, Deandra, please, please pray to the gods. I don't think I saw it. 
I think he's got it pretty high and tight again from what I saw on his Instagram, folks. But, uh, man, can he just bring back that ponytail, Vitor Belfort, early 90s motorcycle man mullet? Like, because, you know, the MMA gloves make it look like he's wearing the leather fingerless cutoffs. And he just, I was like, can somebody please, but before they raise Peter Jan's hand in there after just Peter Jan beat the piss out of him. Uh, can we just put a, a cutoff denim on Douglas Silva de Andrade? It's the funniest thing. Like, go back and watch that fight and whether he's looking all sad. <laughs> <laughs> or while he's during the fight, like just picture a cutoff denim on Selvis Douglas Silva de Andrade's just ni- early '90s ponytail mullet. Like it was so fucking classic. Like Harley Davidson and the motorcycle man. Like can we get like oh my god? Can we get like D- Douglas Silva de Andrade? Someone Photoshop. Remember when everyone did the Justin Scoggins? Like they did the Karate Kid, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, and it was all Justin Scoggins' faces. It was fucking hilarious. I'll repost some of those. I actually have some of them saved on my phone. Shouts to whoever did that. Can somebody do that with Douglas D. and Silva D. Andrade's mullet? Like, put him on the cover of Hard Target for Van Damme, and then put him on the cover of, like, uh, you know, the <laughs> oh, Harley Davidson and the Motors, uh, and the Marvelero Man. Like, can we put him on those covers? Like, that, that is perfect for Douglas and Silva D. Andrade. Wow, Dan, that has nothing to do with the fight and why you're picking him and putting him in your parlay piece. That's right, I'm picking Douglas and Silva D. Andrade here. Um, and he is the second leg to my Kraus parlay piece for plus 106. I just sprinkled a, a, a unit on that for fun. Uh, plus money, Kraus and Andrade. Um, but basically, I just think Barrow's washed here. Four losses in a row. Thank God he's moving up to featherweight. But the problem is uh, his opponent is going to get the same, if not more, I feel, benefits from it. Uh, not having to cut that weight. Andrade is a durable guy anyways. He's a, he's a durable bastard. He's going to come forward. He's going to swing hard. Um, you know, Burrow's path is gonna definitely gonna be to use his wrestling and his jujitsu, but you know, seeing him not being able to take take advantage of Andre Ull, um down there, uh, that doesn't give me much faith that like he can get much more than a round unless he submits him in the first round by taking him to the ground. I don't think he has the gas to even wrestle for two rounds, much less much less three. Um, and against a pressuring opponent who has a really high finishing rate. Um, and now he's not going to have to cut the weight, so he's going to swing harder and longer and faster against a guy who fades no matter what weight, and he just looks like a shot fighter at this point. Unfortunately, man, my how the money has fallen. This is more of a fade on Burrell, but yeah. So I also took Andrade. Actually, I think he gets it done inside the distance. At plus 165, I'm willing to find out. I only put a half unit on that. But Andrade Kraus for plus 106, and Andrade inside plus 165. By the way... um. I may sprinkle on it. Randy Brown, round three, plus 15.25, because Randy Brown seems to kind of need to get his rhythm for one. And, again, Alves being a guy who fades toward as the fight goes on, especially if the fight's not going his way. And Randy Brown knows how to work the body. So it hit my plus 1,500 threshold that I like to see for a round three prop. I'm not saying you run out and fucking and – I'm not, I'm not declaring it an official Derek Love prop. Easy, Derek. But uh, I did write that down there for what that's worth. All right, next fight. Um, this one I, is not on the avoid list. Um, Ariana Lipsky minus 115. She was to face Priscilla Cachueta, but there was some drug thing. I didn't bother to catch up on what. She's now facing on short notice Veronica Macedo minus 105. Macedo was actually going to be on the next ESPN Plus card. So she's having to step up. Um, she's having to step up a bit for a, a month early. But she also had a fight in her first UFC win not too long ago. So she's got to be in somewhat decent shape. Um, and I think her, her 
her more worries missing weight than losing this fight. I don't know. I didn't do a lot of tape study on these two ladies' fights, which is why the next one's going to be on the avoid list. This one is not, though, because people already saw the plus money and I was late to it. But uh, I actually would take the short notice fighter here, Macedo. Um, I just think it'll be a similar theme to the next fight. I just, again, pace and pressure goes a long way in these women's divisions. And against better grapplers, Macedo paid for it. But I don't think that's going to be the case with Lipsky. And a Honey Badger grappler, an aggressive fighter, I think is still the worst matchup for Lipsky, even if she's making improvements and maybe you want to give her passes on her poor performances. But, um, yeah, I feel like she needs to turn around and she is the more prepared fighter. But I'm going to take Veronica Macedo. And if I see a plus money, I may or may not do some degenerate sprinkling. So if you have an angle on there, I'm not going to hate, which is why I pulled up. I'm putting from this fight on the avoid list. That said, is it a confident fight by any means? No. Did I do in-depth tape study on this fight? No. So take that what you will, folks. All right. Lastly but not leastly, minus 220, Tracy Cortez from Contender Series is your favorite. She takes on Vanessa Mello, and I think she was supposed to originally fight Duda Santana. <laughs> Duda. <laughs> Peter. Peter. <laughs> Peter land. Um, yeah, uh, again, Tracy Cortez, not the... Most inspiring performance, but she was an underdog against a girl that was getting pumped up on Contender Series, and she came on, and her Honey Badger-like uh, attitude, uh, I, like I said in my write-up, uh, could probably give a lot of girls problems, and I think Vanessa Mello is going to be one of those girls. Um, obviously, she's not fighting Arena Aldana on short notice like she was on her debut, but I just think the short notice fight, uh, even though she's fighting a flyweight, um... And, she, you know, who's, who's visiting, I think Cortez is going to have that uh, Honey Badger-like approach. And she's going to she's gonna be able to earn at least two out of the three rounds for a decision win. But that is that fight is on the, uh, on the avoid list. All right, folks. Top to bottom. Taking Jan Blakowicz over Ronaldo Souza. Taking Mauricio Shogunhua over Paul Craig. Nothing can outline a great Scotsman. Taking Charles Oliveira over Jared Gordon. Taking Andre Muniz over Antonio Arroyo. Taking Marcus Perez over Wellington Terman. Uh, taking James Krause over Sergio Moraes. Taking Ricardo Ramos over Eduardo Gadigori. Taking Francisco Trinaldo over Bobby Green. Taking... Warley out Al- or taking Randy Brown over Warley Alves, taking Douglas De Silva de Andrade over Henan Barral, taking Veronica Macedo over Ariana Lipsky, taking Tracy Cortez over Vanessa Mello, did a two leg parlay on Andrade Kraus plus 106 for uh, f- f- just for just through a unit there, uh, straight play on Randy Brown plus 100, just a half a unit, may play Macedo if she goes back to plus money. Props to Andrade inside the distance, plus 165, just a half unit. Blockowitz inside, plus 123, just a half unit. Uh, may sprinkle here on this Randy Brown pl- round three prop at plus 1525. Avoid this Melo Cortez. Terman Perez, Arroyo Munez. By the way, I wrote a Bisping, cont- or no, no, I wrote a Contender Series, Great Hit the Winners, Matchmaking, 0 2. Um, Cortez Lipsky, uh, I-, I tried to pair them up. And they got paired up on the same card, and both their opponents fell out, yet they still didn't face each other. So, I don't know. Uh, they, they don't like the Dan Tom matchmaking. And then I also suggested they put Terman Arroyo to get together, which both, one ended up on short notice, but they both, you know, both via opponent juggles end up on the card. 
and uh, yet they don't face each other. So I kind of found it kind of interesting that I, I try to dip my hand. Uh, there's better people that make matchmaking columns than me, but I try to incorporate those in the grading the winners. So tracking those, I like to see if those matchmaking come from fruition. And uh, a couple cards ago, there was the same thing. They ended up on the same card, but they didn't fight each other. So Also, Bisping called Brown Andre Wool, and that made me laugh. And Wellington Dermott defeated a guy named Clayton Butiski, who was 0-11 when he fought him, and I clicked on him. He's 0-17, dude. This guy is a professional loser. I shouldn't, I, I've got a buddy, apparently. <laughs> Clayton, shout to Clayton Batuski. But uh, all right, folks, good luck on your picks and plays. Stay tuned for a bonus segment. I'm going to talk some Joker here. Um, but, yeah, good luck, some, good luck on your picks and plays this weekend. Enjoy the fight cards. And always protect your neck. Thanks to uh, Gary Glitter there. <laughs> I thought I'd be saying that on this podcast. Gary Glitter, uh, Rock and Roll Part 2. I gotta say it for fair use, but yeah, I, I, I say that begrudgingly. I hope that the royalties, by the way, that old Dan Tom purchased that song for, hopefully it doesn't go to old Gary Glitter. <laughs> As you know, of course, that, that is the famous uh, music from the stair scene, right? From the famous scene in The Joker, which I finally got around to seeing. And apparently, of all the things that people were upset with about, I found this to be the, fun, the funniest and the most... Uh, of obscene that people actually had had an issue with like them using that song like hey it was one of the strongest scenes in the movie it was a really well done and shot scene i was into it uh, i don't think anybody stopped and said wait a minute get gary glitter child <laughs> child porn i was thinking about child porn during the uh <laughs> jesus christ this is a bonus segment i wasn't thinking about that when joaquin phoenix was doing his dance but of course the reason why i say that folks not not just to be crude because i'm dan tom but of course, Gary Glitter. It was, uh, it was like Patrick Swayze and Donnie Darko, Kitty Porn Dungeon. Found a bunch of files, of course. Uh, besmirched him and besmirched that song, so we really don't see that song used anymore. So I thought that was kind of, <laughs> kind of funny that they used that song, and I thought it was even funnier. People got upset with it. Um, not gonna, I'm not gonna get into spoilers, folks. But you know, in case you're really ultra worried about spoilers and you're like me, where you're just shutting off podcasts when they would even talk about this movie or movies that. You want to see? I don't blame you. So I guess I'll give you that warning, but I do not intend on giving any spoilers or, or making this go too long. This episode's already been almost an hour and a half. Uh, if you're, God forbid, you're even listening to this shit. But um, but yeah, Dan Thompson trying to watch movies lately because I don't do it enough. I miss it. Uh, I'm gonna try to see Motherless Brooklyn soon. I'm really interested to see how they Edward Norton portrays Tourette syndrome. Um, uh, that's that's a vested one for me, and um, and you know. Even just, like, all these times in waiting rooms I've been spending by going to the doctors. Like, I've been getting sucked in every time to whatever's on TV. Like, it was funny. Like, I was watching a, a, f- a film. Like, what the fuck is this movie? Because it was with this audio assist where, like, for the visually impaired. So it's describing the action while the movie. So you're getting the visual audio, but it's like, Roach looks displeased, pulls out a gun, shoots the guard next to Bodhi. And it was because, I'm like, what the fuck? So it was hilarious. Like, you're there having the... D- 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 uh, when they have to describe certain things, it's, it's extra funny. 
Uh, so I'm like sitting there, like watching these like audio assisted versions, and I'm like, oh, this is point. This is awful, by the way. I'm, like they're just climbing a mountain now. What is this? A fuck? This is that, that Point Break remake looked like the most broed out piece of bullshit. But I was so sucked in because. Even in like high school, when you're excused to you know watch mindless movies and TV, I n- I never was much of that. You know, I'm not much of a mindless TV watcher. But when you're forced to watch like 40 hours a week of fucking fight footage and you never take breaks and this crazy UFC schedule, like holy shit, dude! I realize that muscle has not been getting itched. So like I've been getting sucked into shit on Netflix. Like I watch that Stephen King into the into the tall grass or whatever, which was kind of shitty. Um, I didn't really dig it too much or, um, it was all right, but it it was good performances, but not the strongest movie, which was too late. Uh, it was independent joint, uh, with John Hawks. I love John Hawks. You know, of course, just recently talked about John Hawks from Dust Till Dawn, my favorite character actors. Uh, shout me out if you've seen any of those, if you liked any of those or want to point me to anything on Netflix right now, I'm deciding on whether or not I want to get Disney plus or not, because, um, Simpsons is one of the only things I would get it for. But then they fucked up the aspect ratio, you know? Uh, I think I posted on uh, Shouts to Poppin' Off and Danny and Otto and John John Rico. Um, I don't know if they're listening to this. John John, if you are, hit me, hit me back, man. People that I trust that are up to date with this, with the, with the, uh, the nerdum, which I, I say in all compliments. Is Disney Plus worth, you know? Is, is, you, you guys feel free to hit me up too. Is it, is it, is it worth getting? Let me know. Um, I do want to see that Mandalorian movie, but are they doing with the Star Wars? Cause I stopped watching. I watched like the Rogue One or whatever, and then I watched the the first one with the 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 dude where it's the it's the black stormtrooper and it's the girl Jedi and all that stuff. I think we just need the trans Jedi and we'll be all set now, or wherever they're fuck they're heading. With. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, damn, what's wrong with the girl Jedi? No, I just you know just I just remember just all of a sudden she was they were all very skilled swordsmen at the end of the movie and I didn't really enjoy that one too much. Oh oh, and then I think I watched the one where the spoiler alert for Star Wars, um, Han Solo dies or was that the same goddamn movie? I don't even fucking know. Uh, anyways, the point is, if I want to watch the Mandalorian, do I have to do the same thing what they've done to all these bullshit Marvel movies, which will tie into the Joker here in a second, folks? That's obviously the point of the segment. Do they do the same thing with? Did they bastardize and serialize for all the wrong reasons um, like they do now just for fucking money and corporate bullshit? Um, do I have to watch like fucking 50 movies to, to understand what The Mandalorian is? Because to be honest, Dan Tom has been into comics before it was cool. But I just I of course, because I'm a contrarian, I've tuned the fuck out um, after Thor 7 or whatever all these movies are like. After the first Avengers movies, it just became like too much, like just to ke- catch up on. You gotta, you gotta watch this movie. You gotta watch that movie, but you can't just watch it. You gotta watch it at the end because Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury, he's gonna do another, another little piece. You gotta figure out what it's about, and it's just, it's getting fucking annoying. And then you gotta sit through the part where Stan Lee shows up and shouts to Anderson from the film vault. It's like, oh god, it's my least favorite part of all these fucking Marvel movies where you, you're watching in the theater and Stan Lee shows up. I know he's dead now, so he's probably gonna be showing up a lot less. Rest in peace. But you know, and then my favorite part where all the all the boyfriends have to go to their girlfriends that they somehow fucking drug to the movie. They don't want to be there, and they're just like, oh, that's Stan Lee. That's the guy who created the movie. And you just watch everybody like do the do the fucking do the everybody in just in unison where they realize that they're not. Oh, look at Stan. Oh, God, it's so annoying. Oh, yeah, as you can tell, contrarian old man Dan, not a fan of what's popular. Um, so I think I burnt myself out. I don't think I'm ever really going to catch up on the Marvel things. Um, 
I don't know. You guys can convince me. Tell, tell me. I'm, tell me if I'm wrong. By the way, I'm. I'm open to argument. I'm open to being wrong on this, folks. Believe me, I probably am. But like, you can't also tell me like, if you're excited for the Marvel universe, okay, that's fine. I'm not saying nothing wrong with that. I'm not picking on again. I, I'm a nerd, and I was a nerd before it was fucking cool to be a nerd, which is another reason why I don't like this shit. It's because now it's not even like it, it's the cool thing to do. It's not even the fucking nerdy cool thing anymore, man. It's like when Metallica got big. You know what I'm saying? Like. It's after Injustice for... It's like the Marvel movies are, you know, they're in the load and reload, you know. Injustice for All, it was a little, we, were a bit, we were a bit torn on that. It had some good tracks, but we kind of saw where they were going. Lars still hasn't changed up his fucking drum beat, and here we are, folks. The same Marvel fucking bullshit getting repeated, which is why I did like the Joker. Although, I'm rounding it back, folks. I'm rounding it back. Although, let me know. Let me know about the Mandalorian. Let me know about Disney+. Plus. I did like the Joker because it was dark, because it was not like... These Marvel movies, quote unquote. But I worry because for what I did like of it, I worry that they're gonna ruin it by going, Oh now, now King Phoenix, we can get him into the Batman universe. And I'm sure there's a bunch of all the shit that's already in pre production that, that that I'm sure y'all will let me know about. Um, but like it's just I, that's gonna piss me off when that happens. I can already see it. They're gonna be like, Oh, we're gonna capitalize and they're gonna probably gonna do the same thing, which they're gonna give the Joker another dance scene in whatever movie he comes in next, and they're gonna try to recreate it just like uh, the only good, eh, not the only good thing, but one of the the best the best thing was this in both X Men movies was the Quicksilver the slowdown scenes right in the Days of Future Past and the other one or whatever, like, and uh, they were actually able to up it and up the ante, and that's great. I know they're gonna try to do that with the Joker, and it's probably gonna fall on its face. Um, and they're going to try to like link it up and redo the universe. And it just pisses me off because they do everything wrong. Where Dan Tom's favorite characters get ruined. Like the gambits of the world where they, they make them with Rogue. Or when they do them, it's a fucked up movie. Anyways. So I'm a little butthurt. I was, I, I was you know, it was, believe me, man, folks. Like, I was a, like an X-Men. Like, X-Men was my shit. Like, I remember talking about fantasy casts. Like, back in the early 90s, nerding about this stuff before internet boys existed. You know, with my sister's older friends. Who were in theater, you know, we're in high school theater and whatnot. We'd just be like nerding out, going, oh yeah, Van Damme could be Gambit. Keep in mind, this was the early 90s, folks. Like, we'd be doing fantasy casting. Like, I've been waiting for this shit for so long, but it's been so commercialized and fucking bastardized. I'm not even talking about like, they got it wrong from this issue. Like, I'm not even that deep into it. And for the stuff that I am that deep into, I don't care that much. I'm not holding it against. But, ow, I'm waving my fucking torn rotator cuff. Um, <laughs> hurts more than I know what it is. It's fucked up how your head works. But, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, that's what worries me about this. Um, that being said, the reason why I guess it's not blowing me away like it is other people is because, um, and I'm sure, you know, it's been mentioned in the reviews and whatnot, um, which I'll get to some of those that I've seen online. Because I'm a nerd and I always got to go, like, see what other people think about this, right? And they're mentioning the right things, um, like Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. And Taxi Driver, most people are aware of, but like, this is why I kind of almost didn't want to see the Joker, why I was kind of even on this podcast. I was actually one of those people. I'm not the per person that's like, Mortal Kombat and music and video games and movies are causing kids to be violent. Like, I'm not one of those people, but I just love how fucking angry the nerds are. Like, 
you know, like I said, like the people that were getting mad about the Gary Glitter song are stupid. But you know what else is stupid? Like even like people that are like on respected reviews that are like verified on the YouTube have big followings and are usually like really they don't let their biases get in the way. Like they're having their Danton moments on reviewing this film, and each time these people had their Danton moments, it would they would get upset about something. <laughs> it was it was about people like associating the school shooter and all these ma- and by the way a day I record this another fucking high school shooting you know you know what I'm saying like and they're getting pissed off about it now again Dan Tom is not Mr. Politically Correct I am not on that side of the issue in any sort of the way in general in related issues or on this issue if we're talking about does this movie specifically incite it no that's why I'm going to vote no I'm going to vote this movie should be able to do what the fuck it wants to do. But the reason why I gave that warning is because, and the reason why I think these people are, are, are silly, these, these, these comic book nerds, and I'm not trying to offend my listeners because I'm a nerd. I'm reminding you guys, folks, I've got comics from the 90s. I'm a nerd, but I was a nerd before it was fucking cool. So hopefully I can at least get you that respect to let me get through this. And it's like, <laughs> who's stopping you, Dan? Jesus. But like, uh, the fuck was I going with that? But like, uh, yeah, it, it, they're getting so mad, like... They can't see the connection. Like, again, I'm not on that side of it, but you're telling me you, you don't see the connection between whoever shot up the most recent high school, like that mentality and the psychology of uh, of an individual and the relationship to that character and how the movie, you know, how that character is written on the paper to how it was portrayed even from the trailer. You're going to tell me you don't see the connection? People are like... I'm offended that people don't see this connection. You know what I'm saying? Like, again, is it the reason? Should we petition it? No, I'm not saying that, folks. But to pretend that, that again, you know, I shouldn't be talking about this, but I would say that the, the, the betting line I would set would be minus 250 that the kid that shot up that school saw the fucking Joker movie. And I also would say that it's fair that any kid that would do something so stupid like that would, you know, would, 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 sympathize with this kind of character in all the wrong ways, obviously, right? Wrong ways. Um, so I think that's silly for people to deny that element. And, 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 um, so yeah, do I, I hope I'm making myself clear. Do I, do I think it's the cause of that shooting or will incite shooting? No, I'm not saying that, but is there a relation and are are people who would do that going to idolize this character? Yeah. And that's what kind of bothers me. And it kind of killed my enjoyment of it. Um, going into the movie, also because I, I thought that it was going to be like Taxi Driver, which apparently, you know, it is it's like, oh, it's like today's Taxi Driver. And what people don't understand about most people who haven't seen that movie, and if they do, they're only going to see it because of this movie. Or if they've seen it before this movie, they only saw it because it was a De Niro popular classic. It's not – I don't want to sound like a pretentious hipster, or I know I do. So at the risk of sounding like a pretentious hipster, I should say, most people don't get Taxi Driver. And if they do, they don't identify it, which is a good thing. And the scary thing about Dan Tom, again – I I'll, I'll take I'll take I'll, I'll take the piss out of myself. I'll, I'll I'll call spade a spade, even if I'm the spade. You know, um, what I <laughs> I'm not proud of this, but uh, I I identify with some Travis Bickle. I, I've watched that movie a ton of times, and I don't like that I've watched that movie a ton of times. I don't like that I identify with them. I don't. It's like I, I can't watch certain things, like when those movies, like the the Ben Stiller, like a later version of it is like Ben Stiller meet the parents. Cause I always just feel like that cringy character, like, Oh my God, I've had that moment. And I, I'll identify their moment. That's supposed to be inspiring comedy, like a cringy comedy, like, Oh, you know, and you're supposed to enjoy it. I can't enjoy it. I literally cringe for the character too hard. I identify way too hard with it. And I'm just like, Oh, I can't a more darker version of that goes with stuff like taxi driver. So for me, it, it didn't accomplish anything that taxi driver didn't do already. And an even lesser-known film, which is King of Comedy, I watched when I was in film school. Luckily, my film film teacher 
and enlighten me toward that Scorsese flick. And yeah, like I'll, I'll probably post the trailer on Twitter, but you go go to YouTube and watch the trailer. It's really just a clip, and it's pretty dark. And it just shows like it's it's got the mom's basement thing. It's got the introducing him, you know, on a you know, um, on a show. It's, it's very it's very much kind of comedy. It's 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 essentially Robert De Niro is essentially kind of playing the Joker and uh, the other star of the show, the guy he idolizes, which is Robert De Niro's role in the Joker. Oddly enough, it's played by Jerry Lee, Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, a king and king of comedy. And uh, you should, you guys should go watch that for sure. At least watch the trailer; it'll get you sucked in. But again, I, I watch things like that that were that you know. And again, Todd Phillips did uh, did a good job with it. Overall, you you could argue that he overachieved, but. Um, a lot of it fell short too, and it sucks because a lot of it that didn't was clearly taken from other places. Now, he homages it, the way he presents the material, it's appropriate for the Joker, so it fits. And then, you know, whether you want to say it's a political move to kind of uh, make this move and groove, this move and this piece slide into its groove a little smoother or not, which it does. You could argue that he did it intentionally or not, but yes, he he casts Robert De Niro, so it kind of makes it okay. It's well, you know, he casted the guy he's, he's ripping off, so he's kind of giving him that visual nod. So I don't have an issue with that, but it does kind of take away from it. Between again, the good the good of it, seeing like part of it, like ugh, how are douchebag kids, you know, are going to perceive this, or mentally unwell people going to perceive this, or to the part of well, I've already seen the good of it in other movies, and I guess the other movie I'll add in is Unbreakable, Mr. Glass. Because again, like that's why Unbreakable. That was a movie I probably saw. I saw that movie like four times in the theaters, probably most than more than any other movie I've seen in theaters. Uh, so I just loved it. I loved it. Uh, I loved the twist ending. I loved not seeing what happened, and I loved it because Unbreakable gets you. It's it's one of the most realist comic book movies, from like teaching you about jaw structures to the color coordination. How purple will always be a part of a, a villain. You know, Apocalypse, Mister Sinister, Joker. You know, DC, Marvel, doesn't matter. Comic books, it's purple. Uh, Colors of fire for strength. You know, uh, the greens, yellows, reds, kind of things for superheroes. Uh, But it also just teaches you, like, that the superhero, and this was kind of the movie, The Juxtaposition, which... um, Because they dance a real dangerous line. Uh, Again, I'll I'll give the spoiler warning here, although I'm not going to try to spoil it. They dance a real dangerous line with the Bruce, Bruce Wayne portion. Of the film, you know that narrative. Like, oh, what they, I, I didn't think they were going to go with it. Whether they were teasing that they were going to go with it, um, but the great part about that is it creates the juxtaposition, juxtaposition that not only are they connected, but that a traumatic event happens to both of them. But not just to both of them. Traumatic events happen to both the hero, the protagonist and antagonist, the good guy and the bad guy, the hero and the villain. It's just they react to it in different ways, right? But what I like about Unbreakable and what they tr- what they really tried to achieve here with Joker with mental health and shining th- light on that, which I appreciate. And even though the the message was a bit heavy-handed, you know, with the, from the the Reaganomics, the cutting mental health funding to the 99% theme, which they did do better than Dark Rising. It was just as heavy-handed and just as obvious, the 99 versus the one percenters. But they did execute that theme better. Um... Sorry, I'm ranting, folks. I'm gonna wrap this up here in a second. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I like I, I like where I liked where they went with it. But it just it just again, Unbreakable already kind of did that for me. Where like it it shows why to be sympathetic. Like, oh, this, hey man, these guys aren't really that much of villains. Kind of like with the taxi driver, these weird anti 
hero type. I don't even know if that's the right word, but like even just villains, straight up villains, you can you, you apply this to, which is the, the movie's about that. It's just a fucked up deck of cards, man. Not everybody gets a good genetic hand. Not everybody gets a good socioeconomic hand. Some people get bad hands of both, and that's just life, you know. Whereas, you know, yeah, trauma happened to Bruce Wayne too, but Bruce Wayne had fucking Alfred Pennyworth, had a mansion, had all these things, and and I like that because I actually didn't like Batman as a kid. I didn't like Batman until not even the first, but like the second or third viewing of Nolan's Batman Begins. Because it made it more, it made it much more relatable, right? You had to see more of a struggle, and you really had to see Bruce kind of deal with how do I deal with that struggle and the self-imposed struggle. Because what it really showed with the message from the Joker is the reason why I never really liked Batman. Because I'm like, was this guy without his utility belt? You break it down further, money, opportunities—that's what that utility belt represents. That's how he got the utility belt because he has a mansion, he has all these things. Like, if you strip all that away, what the fuck does this guy have? Now, some people can say that's cool, but yeah, that is cool. It's not like Superman, the most lazily written hero, right? Like, Batman actually had to learn martial arts, he had to use his mind. So I get it. There, there, there's a dual-sided argument for that. But um, I, I, I appreciate the, the thought-provoking and the things that Joker did, but I just felt like a lot of the twists were easy to see. The mom and Joker relationship didn't really do much for me. I thought that was uh, could have been done a lot better. But the performances and cinematography were just fucking great. So the performance was great. The cinematography, the way it was shot was great. I liked the themes they attempted to tackle regardless of how you or I grade them. I thought, I thought that was great. But I just feel like, and I'm not trying to come up like a pretentious asshole. In fact, I hope others, because I know I'm not the only one, so I hope others maybe felt the same way. Whereas if you had an appreciation and education for films like King of Comedy, Taxi Driver, and Unbreakable... I would argue that maybe it didn't do as much for you because you might have already gotten those. At least that's how it was for me. I still enjoyed it. I want to see it again. Uh, it stuck with me, which is always a sign of a good film. But uh, but yeah, um, that, that was uh, my long-winded thoughts on the Joker. Feel free to come at me, start some dialogue. I always love your guys' talk, whether it's about fights or movies. Um, if you like these extra segments, let me know if you like them, slash if I'm, or whether or not if you like them, if you're like, Dan, if you're going to do them, just fucking put them at the end so we don't got to fucking listen to your shit that's totally cool too that's why i tried to do this so let me know give me some feedback and again fucking disagree with me sell me on why i should watch the marvel movies why i should get on disney plus or why i'm right or wrong about my opinions on uh, my loves and hates not even loves and hates likes and you know not so likes on the joker uh overall was good seven out of ten seven out of ten all right folks uh have a have, have a good weekend